0: Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6. I had every intention coming back from our vacation to pick up where we left off, was it three weeks ago now, which had to do with um, we were beginning to talk about worship and a direction that God is taking us in. I know Galatians in here somewhere. And, um, and I came back fully prepared to to get into that um, and, and to begin to uh, to move in that direction, and I woke up in the middle of the night—not last night, but the night before—and this verse went off in me, and I just I just couldn't I just couldn't quite engage with where we, I thought we were going today, and that's often a sign that God wants to do something specific now, and for this for today, and this is the verse He gave me. I'm going to read it to you. Actually, it's several verses here. And we're going to begin to talk about something, and I just try, I know, I really believe it is something the Spirit of God wants to say to us today. Galatians 6, will start in verse 8. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. That's a good choice there, isn't it? Corruption or everlasting life. Here's the key, verse 9. But let us not grow weary while well-doing or doing good. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The sense I have is, and I know it's one of the weapons of Satan, is to wear us out. There's a physical weariness, there's an emotional weariness. And there's a spiritual weariness. And it's important to be able to discern which one you may be dealing with because the answer depends on which type of weariness it is. But this tells us that it is possible, not just possible, it's likely, that in the process of your walking out your walk with God, that you will have some season where you, are, where you become weary of doing good. Well, how can we get weary of doing good? Well, first, we're human. How many of you in here are human? I'm looking. <laughs> that means the rest of you are inhuman? <laughs> no, we're human beings. And, and the very nature of being human beings is we basically live with what's right in front of us. And we have to learn to overcome that. In talking to the Connect leaders yesterday, I talked about the fact the Bible uses this wonderful example of God's loving children as sheep. (laughs) You know what sheep are? Sheep have their nose in their food all the time. They're led by where the next blade of grass is. That's why the owner of the sheep has to put a shepherd among them who can have a perspective that's beyond just where the next blade of grass is. So we react to what's going on around us. We are influenced. Our senses, our five senses, are constantly imparting information to us and talking to us. And in the process of it, because we're human beings, we, we, you know when you're in a crisis, I used to, when I was practicing law, the, the easiest times for me were in the middle of a crisis project. I didn't have to think about what to do next. You just handle whatever crisis came up next. Your adrenaline was flowing. You'd come in just waiting for the challenge. The much more difficult time for me was when the crisis was over, the case had passed, and now I had to come in and do mundane paperwork... It was boring. It was dull. You didn't have the adrenaline flowing. You had to think and plan what to do next. And it was just not interesting at all. I'd much rather deal... I don't, you know, we don't like crisis, but the, the adrenaline flows. The, 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 the you know, we're, We know we need to get on guard. We know we need to be active. We know we are, we're, in a, we're in a crisis. We need to do things. But we don't live in crises. I hope. <laughs> we don't want to live in crisis, which means the majority of our time... Is not in a time when the adrenaline's flowing. The majority of the time when, is when you've got to decide to do the same thing today that you did yesterday. Get up in the morning. In the summer, I get to go out and sit on my deck, open my Bible, get my cup of coffee, sit there, and read my Bible. Then go out and I walk and talk to the Lord. I do the same thing every day, day in and day out, day in and day out. I'd love to tell you every time I get up in the morning, wow, I get to read my Bible! Now, I usually say, wow, I get to have a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like, wow, this is great, you know. There's, I just do it out of habit some days. That's why it's important to develop good habits. Because a habit's what'll make you do it when you don't feel like it. And so you just develop that habit. But but there's just, because we're human beings, we can get bored. We don't like the mundane. Mundane is just the average average everyday stuff of life that we go through you notice you know there were great experiences that Moses had on the top of a mountain great experiences that Elijah had on top of a mountain we may talk about one of that as we get near the end but they didn't live on top of the mountain they had to come down off the mountain down in the valley where everybody else was and they had you know even Jesus had to dress himself he had to do the mundane things of life also you ever think of that? I don't know if they brushed their teeth back then, but he had to brush his teeth. Whatever they did, he had to do that. You know? He had to, he had to get dressed in the morning. He had to, you know, whatever. He, the stuff basically you and I have to do, he had to do too. And this is the Son of God in flesh. But that's it. He was in flesh. So because we live in flesh, because we're human beings, we go through periods of time when even doing what's right, we get tired of it. So I want to talk in the beginning about why we get tired of it. And I'm not purporting to tell you everything, but just to help us understand how we get into it and then the right attitude to have when we're weary. Because notice he says that don't be weary in well-doing, in your weariness, so that you don't lose heart. The heart is everything when it comes to your walk with God. Now, there are other things that are important, our good works and things are important, but the heart is so important, which is why Proverbs says, to guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Well, the devil knows that too. So he's trying to sow things into your heart also that will get you to sit down and to quit, because that's what he's after, so that you do not lose heart. All right. So we've established that we're all human, at least most of us are, and as a result, we're susceptible to being weary or tired. The problem is with tiredness, this type of tiredness, we don't always recognize that we're in it until we've been in it for a while. So you may be going along and doing the same thing over and over again, saying the same prayers over and over again. You've got a prayer list for relatives and people. You're faithfully doing that and you don't realize that you're getting weary in the process until it sneaks up on you and then suddenly something happens and you don't know how you got there. But we want to learn not to let that happen. So the first thing to understand is that getting weary is part of life. It's what you do with it and what we can do to avoid it that we need to learn to do. So we don't always realize that it's happening. Well, where does, where does this weariness come from? Well, one source of weariness is just constant pressure in a battle. They had a term which, which they would use in war called battle fatigue. Where and if I might understand correctly, at least in World War II, I don't know about it in some of the other wars, there were some rules about you could only be in conduct, conduct, combat so many days because there was, they learned that if you're, if you're sitting under that kind of tension, that kind of pressure all the time, it begins to affect you. It begins to wear you down. You're always operating on it. By the way, there's a lesson in this. If you're always operating on your adrenaline, you are using up your storehouse. Because a physical adrenaline is only for emergencies. This is why God ordains, in the Word, a time of rest. and the Old Testament, it was a Sabbath rest. Once every seven days, you were to rest. The world today doesn't understand that. The church today doesn't understand that. Got, there's too much we have to do. If you go, 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 do, 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 do. And pastors are some of the worst offenders at this. And one of the things about taking a period of rest is that, first of all, it humbles you because you discover that the world goes on even if you're resting, that you're not quite as essential as you may have thought you were because sometimes we drive ourselves not because the job requires it, but because we need to be that important. We need to feel we're important, so we push ourselves. And when we do that, we start drawing on the adrenaline that's in, that was built into your body for emergencies. And when you use it up, it's gone. doesn't mean you can't replenish it. It's like trying to drive your car on empty all the time, on fumes. And so we can get to that place where the pressure just dealing, some of you are dealing with tremendous pressures in your life right now. It may be a physical pressure, it may be some serious disease, it may be a financial pressure, and you're battling and dealing with that all the time, you can get into a battle fatigue from that. Well, that's one source of of, of weariness, is just weariness from the battle. There's another source of weariness, which is just the mundane activity of life. We talked about that a few minutes ago. The daily routine of life can get to you after a while because we're looking for mountaintop experiences. You know, we love to have those times when we just, God's speaking to us or we're sensing His presence and all of those wonderful things and we want to live in that all the time but we don't live in that all the time. There's times you don't even know where He is. Or am I the only one that's ever had that experience? You get up and you don't... You may have had a wonderful time with God yesterday, and you get up and you figure he's now gone to the other side of the world to help them today, and because he'll maybe be back tomorrow, and just like... And yet that's not what the Word says. That's not what the Word says. And so this, the the everyday activity of life, unless we maintain the right focus and things we're going to talk about today... You can get weary just of going through the everyday stuff of life. Get up at the same time, go through the same routine, go to the same jobs, see the same people, do the same things, come back, see the same people in your family, deal with the same issues, just the sameness over and over and over again. Unless we have the right attitude and focus, we'll begin to wear us down. Well, let's look at another one. Isn't this exciting? It's where we are. Another source of weariness, and this is a very common one, is when we don't see signs of change for things that we've been praying for or believing God for. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you don't see answers to your prayers, or it may not even be prayers. When you don't see situations change, after a while that can begin to work on you. And you begin to get weary because you don't see any change. Exodus 32, you don't need to turn there, which is the story of when the children of Israel built a, made a golden calf to worship while Moses was up on the top of the mountain getting in the presence of God the Ten Commandments for them. The people were down in the valley. Moses was on the mountain. The people were down in the valley, and they got so far off track that they built, they made, they took the jewelry that God had given them to be used to build the tabernacle where God was going to come down physically and be in their presence they used that jewelry, melted it down and molded it into a golden calf and if you read it carefully, especially in the Hebrew it says, and they worshipped that as as Jehovah God that brought them out of Egypt they didn't go worship Satan they didn't go worship some foreign god they took the god that they knew and they put him into a form that they could see how could that happen? well one of the keys is in the first verse because in the first verse It says that while Moses was on the mountain, when the people saw, listen carefully, when the people saw, this is going to become important to us, when the people saw that Moses was delayed from coming down off the top of the mountain, they knew he was up there talking to God. They could see the lightning. They could see the presence of God up there. They knew their, God, their leader was up there talking to God, getting instructions and provision and wisdom for them. I'm sure that gave them great hope. But he was up there two days, three days, four days, a week, two weeks, three weeks. Four weeks, 40 days he's up there. Doesn't come down, they don't see him and they begin to let their minds wander. Says, when they saw that Moses was delayed from coming down off the mountain, they went to Aaron, the man that Moses left in charge. They turned to him and said, let us make a golden calf for we don't know what has become of this Moses. First thing, they made all their choices by what they could see. So when they could no longer see Moses, they began to get distracted from why they were out there. They began to get, lose their hope Because they couldn't see the answer coming. When he first went up there, I'm sure they had great hope, great promise that they were going to have direction from God and because they knew God, who, who God was. They'd seen Him part the sea to deliver them from Egypt. They'd seen God, this God, their God, destroy their army. was trying to destroy them in one day in front of their eyes. They'd seen what God had do. They'd seen God bring water out of a rock. They were seeing Him bringing food down out of heaven. They'd seen all these things. They'd seen them. They'd seen them. They'd seen them and their hope and their confidence was based in what they saw. So when they stopped seeing things that gave them an indication of being hopeful, they began to lose their hope because their hope was based in what they saw, not what God said. And they'll see the trouble they could get into. So when they saw that Moses was delayed that their hope was delayed that their deliverance was delayed that their direction was delayed they turned to something they could see to put their hope in something that they could see. Now listen carefully. When they didn't see something they could put their hope in they made something to put their hope in. Because you have to have your hope in something or you have no hope. And so because their hope was delayed, first of all, because their hope was in what they could see and they didn't see an answer coming quickly, they put their hope in something that they made and as a result, they got in all kinds of trouble. And that's what Satan's after. He wants you to put your hope in something you made instead of something God's provided. And we're going to see often what God provides doesn't show up when you want it. Doesn't show up when you think you need it. But it always shows up when God knows you need it. So one of the reasons we get weary in well-doing is we lose hope because that hope is deferred. We don't see answers. I don't want to ask for a show of hands because it will embarrass me. (laughs) How many times we've set out to pray for people and then we don't see an answer and we forget about it after a while and we stop praying for them? Why? Because we don't see anything. But if every person you prayed for today got saved tomorrow... Oh, you'd be full of hope, but you'd be basing your hope on what you saw, not on what God says. All right, so we can become weary because we're in a battle and we get tired in the battle. We can become weary just through the normal routine experiences. We can become weary because we don't see positive changes, and there are other reasons. Now, here's the next thing to understand about weariness. Because we can have the attitude, well, I'm weary, I just need to sit down and quit, because that's the temptation. Understand that weariness always makes you vulnerable to temptation. Look what happened to the Israelites we just looked at. They became weary because they didn't see their Deliverer. So they were tempted to make one of their own. Weariness, see, if weariness is one of Satan's weapons, then it can't be something that we want to live in long. We have to recognize that he wants you worn down, tired, because when you're worn down and tired, your will to fight is weaker. When you're worn down and you're tired and you're weary of the battle, then you become susceptible to temptations that you might not normally be susceptible to because your guard is down. You begin to say, well, you know, these things, thoughts that I've had to fight against for so long, I just, I can't fight against them anymore. And that's what he's after. So be aware, if you realize today, that you are weary in well-doing, that you are vulnerable to temptation. So you need to do something about the weariness. And we're going to learn what you can, can do about it. Okay. Weariness comes ultimately from losing sight of several things. First of all, losing sight of our purpose. When people have a purpose, it says in the Bible that that without a vision, without a prophetic vision, it means, without a goal from God, the word actually says the people are unrestrained, which means they have no boundaries, no limits. They basically do what they want to do. What vision does, what, which is purpose from God, what that does is it gives us a focus and a focus gives us a reason to get up every morning, a reason to do what you're supposed to do, a reason to do, keep doing the well-doing even though you may be weary. You continue to do it. Why? Because there's a purpose that's behind it. If your only purpose is to live life, you will get weary quickly because life is wearying I'm not sure that's a word, but it's tiring. (laughs) But if you have a purpose for your life, especially a purpose that God has given you, then that purpose is why you get up in the morning. That purpose is why you you fight the weariness. That purpose is why you do what you do. And you'll forget the purpose from time to time, but when you come back and are reminded of that, and God's good at reminding you of it, then you're able to fight and deal with the weariness. So well, I don't have a purpose from God. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We've all been given the the ministry of reconciliation. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've all been given the ministry of sharing the gospel. We've all been given the ministry of just taking our place in the body of Christ. And we'll get to this a little later on. So one of the things that's the cause of, of, of uh, and, and the reason I'm going through these is because if you know weariness comes through these, you can gird yourself against them, against it. You can prepare yourself for it. It's also a way to get out of it. So one of them things is we lose sight or just don't know what our purpose is. A second is we've lost sight of where we've come from. We've lost sight of where God's brought us from. In, uh, in, In I think it's 2 Peter. He says that when you've, when you've stopped doing those things that he's told you to do in the beginning, he says, it's because you've lost sight of what you've been saved from. The woman that came into the into the, to the Pharisees' house when Jesus was in there and and, and broke the, the vial of the, the alabaster jar over her open and, and poured the ointment out and washed his feet with her hair and 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 cried and wept over her his, over him. And and the, the, the religious people were criticizing her. And he and he said, To whom who has been forgiven little thank, is thankful for little, for who has been forgiven much is thankful of much. So one of the reasons that we get weary is we forget what God's already done for us. We forget where we were, when He found us and where we are now. We forget the things that He's brought us through. We forget that the victories that He has brought into our lives, which we know were not the result of our great strength and our great faith and our great faithfulness. we see what God has done for us and go back over the things that God. So when we're weary, it's often because we've forgotten those things. Because if you're remembering those things regularly, they give you hope that the God who's brought you this far is going to see you through, especially when His Word says that. So one of the causes of weariness is we've lost sight of or just don't know what our purpose is. Another another source of weariness is we've lost track of of where we've come from and what God's done for us and where we used to be like and what God we used to be and where we are now in this process of our growth. Because growth is a process. Someone really helped me with this one time. If you've ever looked at nowadays, it's all digital and things like that. But we used to have things called movie film. Some of you may not even know what that is. <laughs> where you would take it with a camera and then you'd take the film role and you'd actually go to somebody... And they would send it off to be processed. Some of you don't look at me like, what's she talking about? (laughs) Some of the rest of you know what I'm talking about. You get the movie film back, and you take a projector out, and you put a screen up, Uh and you'd run. If you ever looked at the film, it's a series of still pictures. A moment in your life, a day in your life, is one of those frames but it's not the whole movie. There was a beginning to that movie and there's an end to that movie and when you get discouraged over what's going on right now, you're looking at one frame. And you know enough to not look at a frame and judge a movie. Why do we look at a frame of our life and judge our life? Why do we look at a moment or an instance or a day, or even a brief period, and say, well, this is not worth it, it's not going anywhere, you haven't looked at the end of the movie. You've forgotten what the beginning was like to get to this frame. So one of the reasons is we've lost sight of, and this is why one of the reasons it's important to on a regular basis, a daily basis, be thankful with God. Go back over things God's done for you. Father, I remember what it was like. I didn't come and find you. You found me. I love what Brother Christopher Alam said. He says, nobody found Jesus. He's not lost. (laughs) He found you. You were lost. I was lost. Think about that. He found you. Out of all the millions of people on the face of the earth, He found you. And for every one of us in this room this morning, there's a different story of how he found you. Why? Because he used, he knew what it took to get to you. So he custom made his approach just for you because he knew what it would take to reach you. He didn't use some cookie cutter approach the same approach for everybody and after all he's God he can do what he wants to do he would have a right to say look you're the ones that are lost you need to find me here I am he wouldn't do because he wanted you enough just meditate on that a little bit and see what it does for your day he found you in some of our cases including me he didn't just find me he had to track me down work on me pound on my dumb hard head work on my hard heart. He had to send people across my path, do all kinds of things to get through to me. But He did it. He did it. And He didn't quit then. He's worked in my life many times when I had no idea. Was When you're thankful on a regular or daily especially basis, God, thank you. I remember the time I was sick. I remember one time sitting in a front seat of a car and the doctor found a lump in Anita and, and we're sitting there we've just going through some very difficult challenging time in our life and we sat down there and we prayed this prayer of faith God we have no faith <laughs> we're drained we don't know what to do so please we're putting this into your hands only you can do something about this two days later she woke up and woke me up in the morning she says John it's not there that wasn't a result of our great faith that was a result of a god who is very faithful to us when we cry out and ask for help it helps to go back over those things it helps to go back over those things and remember i was we were weary then and he brought us through even when we were weary remembering where you came from remembering what he's done in your life third thing we forget our future you know, sometimes you need to read the end of the book. <laughs> sometimes you need to read the, and sometimes you need to read it to the devil. When he's harassing you, just go to, to the end of Revelation. It says, I know you're putting me through, but I've read the end of the book. Let's talk about where you end up. And let's talk about where I end up. You know, see what happens, we've got we've gone through periods of time in the church when all the music and all the preaching was all about in the sweet by and by. We all get to heaven. What a glorious There's Those are wonderful songs, you know. But they got so focused on heaven that all we were doing was holding on to survive here. Well, we've coming through a period of time now when the church was so focused on our authority and the Word of God and God answers prayer and dealing with things here that we've lost touch with there. And we'll see that in a minute. That we've lost touch with the ultimate hope. The ultimate hope you have is not to get through this life successfully. The ultimate hope we have is where we go when we finish this life. And so... We've lost touch. One of the reasons is we've lost touch, we've lost sight of, or never even think about the future that God has for us. But over and over again in Paul's letters, he talks about praying that they would see the hope of the inheritance they had together with all the saints. You have an inheritance. I want to say that again. You have an inheritance. Now see, if, if, if you had an inheritance from some poor relative... That's nice. But if you had an inheritance from Bill Gates, <laughs> different matter. See, the, the, the value of the inheritance has to do with the one you're inheriting from. You have an inheritance from God whose streets are paved with gold. You have an inheritance from the God who is the source of joy. Of, he is joy. He is peace. He is life. You have an inheritance waiting for you. Wow. I think I've told you the story before of... Uh, of uh, and I, I've never researched it, but I, I believe it's true, so I'm just letting you know that. That one of the things that John D. Rockefeller did, Jr. did with his children because he realized the problem is when you inherit wealth you have not developed the character often and the sense of responsibility that you get when you've earned the wealth. And so he would take each of his children and required them to work in one of his factories or one of his plants at the lowest possible level under a different name. So imagine going into work and you punch a card and it says on there, your name is John Smith. You go to your locker and you put on your coveralls because your job today is to sweep out the restrooms. The only person in that plant that knew who they were was the plant manager. Nobody else knew. But imagine you're Nelson, little Nelson Rockefeller, teenager, and you're in there sweeping up the, the sawdust or whatever you're sweeping up that day, emptying out the trash bags, doing all this but imagine you're doing that but you know who you are and you know who your daddy is and you know that someday this plant that you're sweeping out you're going to own because your name really isn't Smith it's Rockefeller can you imagine that you don't get too weary You don't get too discouraged because there may be a lot more trash to clean out today, but you know that's just today. That's just a picture in the movie frame. Because you know the end of this movie is I end up inheriting it. I end up owning it. So there's... A drive. There's a hope. There's a future. There's a promise that's there. I'm not seeing it now because I'm wearing these dirty old overalls, and everybody around me is making fun of me and joking at me because I'm the young kid on the block. Because here, as far as they know, my here, as far as they know, my name's Smith. But my father knows my real name. My father has made provision for me in his will. And the provision that my father's made for me is I own this place. So I can put on the dirty coveralls. I can take the harassment from the persecution from the people that are around me making fun of me because I'm just a young kid on the block and may not be too good at this. But inside I know who I am. Inside I have a hope. I have a future. I have a promise. I have an inheritance. And this is it. Well, the Word of God says you have an inheritance. You may be wearing coveralls right now that make you look like the world, that make you look like everybody else. And you may, be, you may have a name that, that, that in the world isn't recognized as very important, but you have a father. You have a father who's given you a name. A name that's above every name because you are belong to Christ Jesus. You belong to somebody and as a result you have an inheritance. And see, when you begin to think about when you've lost sight of that or you've never known that, you begin to get weary and tired. But see, if you've got an inheritance coming, boy, that drives you, that motivates you to do your job and to do it right. You understand the Bible tells us that when we get to heaven, when God reestablishes, when He establishes the new heaven and the new earth down here, that we're all going to have jobs. We're not just sitting on clouds with harps singing to one another all the time. No, you're going to have responsibilities because in First Corinthians, Paul talks about the fact that, don't you understand? He says, if you've got to go to court to sue another Christian, that means you can't resolve the disagreements among yourselves. If you can't work that out here, how's God going to entrust to you you're going to rule over angels in the next life? You understand you're in training now for what you're going to be given responsibility for later? That affects how I do my job. That affects the attitude I have because I realize it's not just God's going to come to the end and says, you did a great job or you didn't do a good job. It's also preparing me for something that's eternal. That's eternal. That's a long time. It's forever. All right, let's move on. All right, so what's... Oh, the fourth thing. First thing is we we lose sight of our purpose. Second thing is we forget where we've come from. Third, we forget our future. But the fourth thing, and this is one of Satan's major weapons, is we believe we're all by ourselves. We're isolated. We're alone. We're the only one going through this. Everybody else sitting in here has it all together. Everybody else in here is a faith giant just walking in victory, and you're the only one that's a turkey sitting here ready to quit. I guarantee you, there are many of you out there this morning that are on the verge of just saying, it's not worth it. I can't make it. You're not alone. So what do we do? How do we handle it when we realize we're weary or getting weary and well-doing? Well, we have choices to make. First choice you can make is you can just decide to quit give in but that's what the devil's after that, I'm, I'm just stubborn enough sometimes my wife will say yes I'm stubborn enough to just say if it's the devil I don't care I'm going to dig my heels in come hell or high water I'm digging my heels in because I'm not going to do something to give in to what the devil wants me to do so we can give in the Bible calls it fainting. Or there's some things we can realize, and that's what I want to talk about this morning in the time we have left. First thing I want you to realize is that there is value in the time of weariness that you're going through. Yes, we've looked at the negative things that can happen, but there's also a value of that time. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, he talks about the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. So the Bible says your faith, your strength, your 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 faith in God your faith goes through a testing and a trying and what's one of the purposes of a trial or a test is so that you can see what your faith is in twenty years ago, maybe it was longer than that now there were a bunch of well-known ministers that within a very short period of time on television were fell moral issues and and it was amazing how many people just walked away from God. Just walked away from God. Because some guy they'd never met was in immorality. Now, it's, we're not to do that. We're to be examples. I'm not condoning that in any way. But if somebody's falling causes you to walk away from your Savior and your God, that would make me question what is my salvation based on? Because if it's based on Brother Doodad on TV... I got news for you. He's not going to be there at the end. <laughs> so when we go through these difficult times, there are opportunities to find out where we really are. That's one of the purposes of a test, right, in school? It's so you know what you've been learning. Back when I went to law school, the first year of law school, the year-long courses had no quizzes, midterms, or anything. There was one exam at the end of the course, and you found out then whether you learned enough or not. And I'm telling you, the pressure on that was unbelievable. Because all through the year, I don't know whether I'm getting it or not. I think I'm understanding it. I think I'm understanding it. But I don't know. I'm only going to get one shot at this, and this at the end. So I learned to value what tests do. Because tests help you find out where you really are. If that's the attitude, is that right, Mrs. Johnson? If that's the attitude you have about it, it's a chance for you to say, whoa, I'm not where I thought I was. I may need to do some extra work here. I need to wake up and realize where I am. So if you're in a time of weariness and you find out that, you know, just because something happens in the world or something happens around you or somebody says something to you or doesn't do anything you like or, or, or people just around you start walking away from God, what's your faith in? Who is your faith in? Is it in them? Yes, we influence one another. Or is it in God? Because He hasn't walked away. He hasn't failed. Like the Bible says, there'll come a day when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And if you're shaken, that means you're standing on things that are shaky. You're building your life on sand, Matthew chapter 7, and not on the rock himself. So the first thing... To look at is, alright, this is a chance to look at me. What's going on here? Why am I going through this? Am I stop, have I stopped doing one of those four things we've just talked about? James 1.3 says that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So the first thing is that to realize that the thing I'm going through is an opportunity to reveal where I really am spiritually. Second thing... Is the Bible says in two places. We'll look at the other one in a minute. James chapter 1 says that the trying of your faith produces patience. Now, it doesn't automatically produce patience, it's what you do with the test. Just like barbells in my basement don't put muscles on my arms, it's what I do with them. That industry's made a fortune selling treadmills and exercise equipment that are great clothes hangers. Because people buy them thinking, if I buy this, I'm going to get fit, lose weight. No, if you use it, you'll lose weight. <laughs> so the test doesn't produce the patience, but it gives you. Listen to carefully. It gives you the opportunity to develop steadfastness that you don't get when everything's going well. You don't know any learn anything about yourself when you've got all the money in the bank you need, when you're walking in perfect health, your kids just adore you and shower you with gifts. They come to want to do everything. When everything around you is going well, you don't grow. There are wonderful times, but we grow much more through the challenges. We grow much more through the difficult times. We grow much more through the trials and the tests. So they don't produce the steadfastness, but they give us the opportunity to develop steadfastness. Now, steadfastness is not one of my favorite words because the other word for it is patience. (laughs) Patience implies it's not going to happen tomorrow or today. Patience implies I'm going to be in this for a while. Ugh. And yet it is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Aren't you glad God has patience? Aren't you glad God's patient with you? He's very patient with me, and I am very thankful for that. Patience. The trying of your faith produces patience. Patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect. That word means complete and entire. So the only process by which God brings maturing to you, the process by which you are... You know, see, God's purpose for your life, one of them, is to conform you to the image of Christ. And He's determined to do that. But part of that process of doing that is working steadfastness in you patience in you and if you will allow him to work that in you by not fainting by not quitting when you're weary if you'll allow him to work that in you then that per- that steadfastness will produce in you a completeness that can only happen if you stand still well it's like a child going to get their first haircut it's uncomfortable to them so they don't want to sit still long enough to have it done. So they want to have a few snips and get up and run. And that's dangerous to get up quickly and run when the barber's got sharp seers in his hands. And so we want to do that with God. It's like, well, I won't go there. We'll get, we'll get sidetracked, in, or I will, and you'll follow me. All right, Romans 5. Let's turn there quickly. He's just talked about we're saved by faith. Talked about what faith is. That we're being received. We're, we're, our righteousness, His righteousness is imputed to us when we have our faith in Christ. Verse, verse 1. Therefore, having become justified by faith, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not we're going to get it, we have it with God. Through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, of seeing the glory of God. Not only that, hey, we're going to be rejoicing in some things here. We also rejoice or glory in tribulations. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you just really throw a party when you're going through a difficult time? But Paul did. He rejoiced in tribulations. Why? He must have known something that we need to learn. Oh, knowing that tribulation or testing pressure produces perseverance. Here's that word again. Ah, but he goes on. Perseverance produces something else. Perseverance produces character. In the King James, it says proven character, or the NASB, excuse me. It says proven character, proven, tested character. See, God's after character, not characters he wants to develop character in us and that's a process and the testing will train us in patience and if we'll stay patient if we'll stay on the table long enough then we'll allow him through the situations to develop his character in us and then it goes on to say because that character will produce something Each of these builds on one another. And character will produce hope, which is confident expectation. And we know that hope will not disappoint us because the love of God has been shed abroad or poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So... There's a value to this time we're going through. There's a value to the pressure. There's a value to that valley. There's a value to that difficult time if you'll choose to look at it that way. But if you'll feel sorry for yourself and argue with it or just quit, it won't produce any more than that exercise equipment in your basement will produce muscles and endurance and cardiovascular strength it's only what you do with it that produces it but here he's laying out for you you know when you buy that equipment they show you videos and pictures of you know these sleek things going you know and that's what you'll look like if you buy our $600 (laughs) treadmill if you buy this latest thing you'll look just like her or you'll look just like him That's the image. They're selling you something so that you'll put the effort into it. This is God's sales brochure. This is God's sales brochure. If you will go through this with this attitude, then it will produce these strengths in you. It will produce this tightness, this fitness. It will produce this look in you. You will develop patience. And that patience will produce in you proven character. Oh, the muscles are gotten starting to show. And if you do that long enough, it will produce in you steadfast confidence. More Christ-likeness. All right. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. All right, so we've decided we're going to go through this now. How do we do this? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. Now here, this verse gives you the parameters. See, we're going through these things, and we think there's no beginning, there's no end. You know, we're all alone. We're in the sea of darkness. It's gonna, we're going to go down the drain. It's all over with. But God's telling us here there are boundaries to what we're going through that He's established. I'm going to say that again. This verse tells us that whatever you're going through, there are boundaries to that experience that God has established. You may not be able to see them but that's why we've got to do this by faith and not by sight. I can't tell the times I've gone back to this verse to remind myself, I know what it feels like I'm going through right now, but there's a boundary to this because God said so. So the first thing we see is there's no temptation that's not given among men, which is not common to man. So that blows away that feeling we have that we're all alone. I'm the only one going through this you don't know pastor what I'm going through. I may not know what you're going through, but I know it's common to man. The details may be specific to you, but the overall experience is common to man. We're we'll all going through it from time to time. I don't know about you but you know you go to see the doctor and the doctor does the blood work and says comes back and scratches his head and says I don't know what this thing is. That doesn't give me a lot of confidence. But when he looks at you, pokes around, yes, this is blah, 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 whatever it is. And the prescription for it is... That gives me hope, confidence. He can put a name to it and he has an answer for it. And so God has a name to it. It's It's common to man. You're not the first person. This is not a unique condition to you. All right. No temptation has overtaken us except that it's common to man... Number two, and God is faithful. He's not somewhere else. He's in it with you. He's faithful. Doesn't say you are faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. What's He faithful to do? Who will not allow you to be tested or tempted beyond what you are able to handle. He didn't say what you think you're able to handle. Because I've found in my life, there's often been a disagreement between what God says I can handle and what I think I can handle. And I've learned this. The difference between what I think I can handle and what God knows I can handle is the area where I'm going to grow. It's like the physical trainer that says, do five more. I can't! Do five more! I can't! Do five more! Okay! (laughs) And you find out you can do five more. Because we govern what we think we can do by how we feel. God is faithful to not allow you to go through something that He has not already determined that you are able to handle. And... With the temptation, He's also made the way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. Sometimes God's way out is through it. Sometimes God's ways out is around it. Sometimes God's ways out is over it. But God has a way. And that's what you've got to look for. So often we want just out now. And God wants you in it. Because he's trying to work something in you, but you're not in it by yourself. He's in there with you, working with you to will and to do his good pleasure. That's what it says in Philippians. But it goes on to say later, therefore work out your salvation. How's that? work? Not whether you're going to heaven or not. It's taking what God's put in you and working it to the outside. That happens under pressure. All right, we've got to move on. All right, here's some things to do, quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Starts with what you look at. So we've decided we want to go through this. We're not going to faint. We want to learn what we need to learn out of it, but we want to go through it. Whatever the way of escape is, whatever God's answer is, that's what I want. And here's the way you do that. Well, let's skip down to um, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We believe and therefore for speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise up Jesus, will also raise us, us up with Jesus and present us with you. For all things are for your sake that, there's, this is his purpose, he had purpose here, all things are for your sake that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving abound to God for the glory. Therefore we do not lose heart. That's what we're talking about. Even though our outward man is perishing and our inward, our inward man is being renewed day by day, our, the real man on the inside of you. For, I love the New, King James, the New American Standard, for this momentary light affliction. You need to go back and read what that momentary light affliction was. He says in verse 8, We were hard-pressed and every side, but not crushed. We were perplexed. That means there were times he didn't know what to do, but not in despair. We were persecuted, but we knew we weren't forsaken. We were struck down, but we weren't destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, for that the life of Jesus may manifest in our body. So Paul went through some stuff. In 2 Corinthians, he says he asked God three times to take it away from him. And God's answer was, my grace is sufficient. God didn't say no. He said, I'll take you through it, because my grace is sufficient to bring you through it. And here's how He could do it. For this momentary light affliction is working for us a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There's something that's being produced by this, that's of infinite value, that when I look at that, it makes what I'm going through seem like temporary and light. For a while, and here's how he could do it. For a while we look not at the things that are seen. We don't look at the circumstances. We don't look at the checkbook. We don't look at the doctor's report. I'm not saying ignore them. We don't get moved by them. We don't decide whether we're going to make it by what we see with these natural eyes. That's what the children of Israel did when they couldn't see Moses. They had to make something they could see. Are you building your hope and your life on things you have to see and touch and feel and hear? Or are you building on an eternal truth? And that's what Paul learned to do. For we look not at the things that are seen, the things this world offers, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary but the things that are not seen are eternal. Paul made that exchange in his mind. I look for the eternal goal. I look for the eternal reward. I look for the eternal inheritance. I look for the eternal home that God has for me so I'll learn to be faithful here to follow it all the way through to the end and if you read 2 Timothy you see his report at the end he said I have fought the good fight I have run my race I have finished my course therefore there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord has prepared for me and for all those who love his coming because he said I know in whom I've trusted myself he trusted himself To his God, he really trusted in his God. He didn't just say it on Sunday morning. He did it with his life in the middle of the pressures. I understand something. If you read that letter carefully, earlier he says, "Tooth, all of Asia fell away. That's his first missionary journey. The churches he established, the people that got saved, He said, I did all that. I laid my life down and did all that. And they all backslid. But you don't hear a Paul, an apostle, who's discouraged and down. I did all this for them. And they quit. How could they do this? Oh, what a waste of time. He wasn't looking at them. He didn't, he did it for them. But ultimately, he did it to serve his Lord. And his Lord didn't quit. His Lord didn't backslide. His Lord was faithful. That's where his eyes were. He knew he was going to receive his reward because he'd been faithful to do what he was supposed to do regardless of what the people he did it for did with it. So he didn't base his hope on the response of the people. He based his hope on the God he was serving. He looked not at the things that are seen, but things that are not seen. We've got to bring this to a close. So we start out by what we look at. The second thing is you draw near to Him about how to get through the weary times. Isaiah 40, 27 through 31 says, they that that, that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up His wing with eagles. Waiting on the Lord renews your strength, strengthens you. See, we get under pressure, and again, pastors are the biggest offenders at this. Under pressure, we try to work harder to get out and so the harder we work, what happens often is the less time we spend in prayer. Because we think, well, prayer, what's that going to really do? I know God answers prayer, but prayer strengthens you. Prayer strengthens you. I heard a preacher say this, a well-known preacher said, you're, you're never stronger than when you're on your knees. Why? Because you're tuned into who He is. You're tuned into this other realm that we're talking about that becomes more real to you when you're communing with Him. Matthew 11, verse 28, excuse me, 25 through 30, Jesus talks about, "'Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest.'" So the place to find rest is to draw near in your relationship with Him. The very thing it seems like you can't do is the things you need to do more than anything, and that's to spend more time with Him. Just personal relationship with Him. Not even necessarily praying for situations. Just commune with him, just worship him, just love him, just be with him, draw near to him. Recently, I was reading a biography of a a missionary to China named Hudson Taylor, opened China up to the gospel in the end of the 1900s, end of the the 19th century, in the beginning of the 20th century, opened it up, but went through tremendous persecution and losses and things like that, and he was at one point ready to quit, just so worn out and so discouraged. And John chapter 4 came to him. We've talked about John chapter 4. We'll talk about it more in terms of worship. But in there, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he said, if you knew who I was, you would come and ask of me, and I would give you living water. When we're weary and tired, what do we need to drink of? Living water. Not a Diet Coke. I'm not getting to say Diet Cokes are bad. I'm just saying what we do is we go feed our flesh to get comfort, don't we? We've got to either go buy something or eat something or drink something or watch something or do something that kind of makes our flesh feel temporarily better. But that doesn't strengthen you. What strengthens you is if you come to him to come and drink of his living water. How do I do that? Just ask him for it. Refreshing water. Times of refreshing, the Bible talks about as you pray in the Spirit. Times of refreshing. Okay. Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll bring this to a close. The whole book of Hebrews is written to Jewish believers who were living away from Israel in Jerusalem. And it was written to them because they were weary of well doing. They were tempted to quit the things that they had been believing that they knew were the gospel because they were being persecuted for it. They were away from their home church. They were away from the source of the relationships that they'd had because they'd been spread through through persecution. So they were feeling alone. They were vulnerable. And the Judaizers, people came in to try to pervert the doctrine and get them to convince them to go back to the old system of believing what they were believing. And this letter was written to jolt them and remind them and correct them so that they wouldn't do this. We're going to pick up here quickly in verse 32. But recall the former days in which you were illuminated. So he's reminding them of things they've been through. When you endured a great struggle with suffering, in other words, you came through it, God brought you through it. Partly because you were spectacled by the reproaches and tribulations, and partly because you became companions with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plenary of your goods, knowing that you had a better knowing you had a better and enduring possession for you in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence because it has a great reward. for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done, after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. This is our problem. We live by our feelings. We live by circumstances. We live by how things work. And it's important to know we have faith so that we can receive our healing, faith for God to provide for us. But the ultimate purpose of faith is so that you won't quit. The ultimate purpose of faith is so that you can walk in this life with your eyes on that life. And that's the only way you're going to walk through this and through those times and not quit. You have need of endurance. So, yet yet for yet a little while, he was coming will come and will not tarry. For the just shall live by faith. If anyone draws back... My soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back to destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, chapter 11 is in here to teach them what faith is. And then having done that, we go into chapter 12. Therefore, having such a cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. And how do we do that? Looking unto Jesus. The, not at yourself, that's one of the reasons we get weary. We're looking at me. I'm not doing anything to be here. I'm not, I'm not making it here. I'm, I could be doing a better job over here, and this situation is not right. And blah, 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 blah. all looking at me. But he says it's looking at him. Yeah. Looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And how did he do it? For who the joy set before him. He endured something. What did He endure? The cross. Despising shame, the shame that was dumped upon Him for our sin, He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility of sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, you have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed in striving against sin. Sometimes you have to encourage yourself. Sometimes it's not the prayer line. Sometimes you can't find somebody to encourage you. You gotta encourage yourself. Sometimes turn to First Samuel chapter thirty and you'll see the story of David at Ziklag. And I don't have time to get into it, but basically he ran out of everything. I mean, he's been fighting against Saul for years. Saul's trying to destroy him because God's called him to be Saul's replacement. Saul's jealous. All the armies of Israel set to destroy David. He's got a troop of about 600 men that are helping him. Now what happens? They've been bowed in battle. They come and find out the Philistines have snuck in and stolen their wives, their kids, and everything they belong. It's all been taken off, and there's nothing there. And there are at the end. They've had it, and now these men that have been so loyal to him are now thinking of killing him. So he's now alone. Even his men have deserted him at this point. And in verse 6, it says, And David encouraged himself in the Lord. There's sometimes you got to do this. And you got to take yourself and shake yourself and make yourself just begin to praise God. Not because you feel like it. Car is a good place. Turn the car radio up, and just at the top of your lungs, just start praising God. Not because you feel like it, just because it's the right thing to do. Just because nobody else is encouraging you, because you got a mouth of your own, you can encourage yourself in the Lord. The last way to encourage, to, to get out of it, and the most practical way, get involved in helping somebody else. In fact, I have this suggestion for you today. If this is you and you're discouraged or you're weary, when you leave today, go to your right. There's a table over there for the 99. Sign up to do something. Something. And you'll find out as you begin to step out and do something for God, you watch how God turns that situation around inside of you. Watch how the weariness goes away. Because that weariness is a weapon to get you to sit down in front of your TV set and do nothing and quit. Because that's what the devil's after, is to get you to quit. I'll end with this story. It's out of, I'll tell you where it is. It's in um, 1 Kings 19. It's the story of, yeah, it's the story of, um, of Elijah. He's just had an incredible victory. There was a confrontation of the prophets of Baal on the top of, mount, of the mountain. And the prophets, he was a challenge. You prove your God's real and I'll prove my God's real. And they did all kinds of things all day. They couldn't do anything. Of course, their God's not real. He gets up there and calls fire down and it destroys, it licks everything up. And dramatic thing. Israel begins to rise up and says, Jehovah is our God. He slays the prophets of Baal. Not only that, right after that, he commands the drought of three and a half years to end. Wow, the guys are on a roll. The next day, Jezebel says, you killed my prophets, I'm going to kill you just like one of this. And he panicked and ran in fear. Why? He'd been through the crisis. The challenge was over, and now it was a letdown. He was weary. He was tired. He runs away in fear and goes and hides. But God finds him and calls him out. He says, I'm all alone. Nobody else is serving you except me. And God says, no, not quite. I've got, I think it's 7,000 still that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Weary in well-doing. That you faint not. If that's you this morning, as you listen to this, God will give you a way out. Understand this, you're not in it alone. He's in it with you. He has a way through it. He has a way out of it. And he's determined already the boundaries of it. So it's not going to destroy you or overwhelm you unless you quit. If you quit, then he can't get you out of it because you've chosen to stay in it. But he'll get you through it and out of it if you'll stay with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come together with one another and with you and be real and honest and vulnerable. For every person in this room this morning, you know where we are spiritually. You know where we are in terms of our strength, our weariness, our faithfulness, our faithlessness. You know where we are. So we come to you today to not hide and pretend to one another or hide and pretend to you that we may have it all together. For you are a God of truth and you come to us in truth and you deal with us in truth, that you may bring us to where you are. We thank you for the assurance of your word that you're in this with us, that you've established boundaries to it. We thank you that in there's a purpose to it and that there's a way through it, a way out of it. But we tell you this morning that we just choose as an act of our will to trust you. We don't need answers. We don't even need to understand. We just declare to you today because of who you are that we trust you. And so we let the care of this go. We let the concern of the outcome of it go. We just let it all go into your hands because your word says to do that because you care for us. Now, Father, as I pray for each one of us today in this, I ask your spirit to begin to minister to us. Before we leave, maybe, Begin to minister to us, speak to us, encourage us. Maybe put on our heart to encourage somebody else. Sometimes it's just a touch or a look that can do that. But we ask the Spirit of God gain to begin to minister that comfort and assurance to every person here this morning that has that need. For that we thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen.